We are back, and you are listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. Middle East Eye has a piece entitled, Life is Unbearable. Syrians endure nightmarish winter amid economic collapse. Keeping warm in Damascus is now a luxury. And while prices rise continuously, eating is also becoming prohibitively expensive. As the freezing cold weather sweeps into Syria, it finds a country struggling to muster increasingly scarce fuel supplies, one that is devastated by war and beset by an economic crisis unparalleled in its history. And I'd also have to say, also with convoys, U.S. convoys stealing their oil. For insight into this, we turn to our next guest. He's a co-host of the Left is Dead podcast, and you can find that at leftisdead.com. James Carey, as always, James, welcome back. Oh, good to be back. So you've got people in Damascus desperately trying to amass diesel and firewood for stoves and heaters this past month. Heavy snow has blanketed the city outside the capital. Securing fuel and warmth was even harder. James Carey. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a tragedy, really. It's it's funny that we're over here in the United States complaining about 7% inflation, yet we are putting other countries through like hundreds and hundreds of percentage points of inflation. But, um, you know, I think this is the U.S. strategy now that we can't win wars anymore. We, after 20 years in Afghanistan and no progress, I think the strategy is to just try to starve these, you know, quote unquote, rogue states out of the global economy until they comply. And um, I think you're seeing that here. I think, but the issue is, will the heavy handed tactics like this hold up for how long can they hold up? Because it's impossible. But the, you know, we're continuing to steal from Syria, as you mentioned, the oil. Um, we've always had, you know, our ally Turkey has stolen oil. They bought oil directly from ISIS. Uh, they've occupied parts of the country on behalf of us, essentially. Um, but all that's falling apart and there's nowhere to go. So I think the only solution left to the United States is try to do what they do to like say Venezuela or Iran, where the government won't move for them. And they try and just remove you from the global economy and make you suffer until something changes. I think we're seeing that here. Just really quickly, you said, this is what we've been doing since Afghanistan in commentary on Vietnam. Gil Scott Heron said, if we can't break the Asian will, will bomb their dikes and starve the man. So we've been doing this a long time. I mean, even in Iraq in the 90s when I was a kid, it was still mm-hmm. sanctioned and heavily, you know, no-fly zones mm-hmm. are impositioned on it. This is all, yeah, you're right. You know, James, there's another article that um, this actually works perfectly with this pivoting to the Middle East, to the East in the Middle East. And I think it works perfectly because for this reason. In the 1990s, there was not another option for Iraq. There was not another option for the countries that we, you know, tried to overthrow or to, you know, use, lay a, you know, a, a medieval economic siege to or whatever the case may be. But now what we're seeing is we say to Nicaragua, as an example, well, we'll fix you, we'll starve you to death, and you'll have nothing. And they say, hey, look, there's China. And so what we're seeing is uh, Mali recently, when they threw the French ambassador out, there were people in the streets waving Russian flags. I saw pictures of it. Why is that? That was to punch them, you know, a punch in the gut. That was a reminder, I think, to them. There are other options, and I think that's a very powerful factor behind what's going on in the Middle East today, and it's turned to, towards Eurasia. Your thoughts on all of that? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I think there's definitely been a shift, and you're seeing it as we obviously, you know, we're in a much different position than we were with the Soviet Union in relation to China, specifically, as we enter this kind of second Cold War here, because the Soviet Union did not have an economy on par with ours. But economically, there's another world power, and it, it, rival, it not only rivals us, but we depend on it for our supply of raw materials and components for, you know, consumer products. So we're relying on the other Cold War power now instead of, you know, a sort of parallel power like the Soviet Union. Um, and I think that as far as China goes, they cover the economic basis. And then Russia, you know, you see Turkey buying the S-400s, even if they're, they had to lose the F-35, you know, they buy the air defense systems from Russia. I see Russia serving as this international diplomatic side and um, security side. Uh, they stepped in, you know, Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia fighting over Artsakh. Uh, Russia negotiated that ceasefire. So I, I see Russia stepping in as this diplomatic power when, you know, you see an ambassador get expelled and there's Russian flags. That's why, because the Russians do come in and cut, you know, semi-beneficial deals for both parties um, as much as they can. It's a compromise. But the Russians come in and cut these big deals as far as, you know, geopolitical strategy goes. And then the Chinese come in and offer you, what, loans at a lower rate than the IMF, no conditions on your internal government structure or, you know, no impositions of austerity from the outside. You can spend the money how you want. You will owe it back. But we, hey, we may also forgive some and lower your rate, you know. And when you're up against that and the IMF, I mean, the IMF was making people in Greece burn, fire, you know, like chairs for firewood 10 years ago. So. I just don't see why, you know, countries that we're openly hostile to all the time would not take China's economic aid. And now you find even American allies, so-called American allies like Israel mm -hmm. are turning to China and the United States is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you doing? And what never seems to be appreciated or what now is happening at a greater level is these so-called American allies are realizing the United States has taken them has, has been taking them down this rabbit hole, and they don't want to go down the rabbit hole anymore. Yeah, I think so. I think that um, you know any any observer can see it. This country is obviously unstable. Uh, our elections can't be relied upon to produce uh, the results that the establishment wants. Essentially, you know, a manager um, that probably isn't in the future too much longer. So even countries like, you know, Germany with uh, the Nord Stream or France and the UK with 5G technology, they're getting it from China. These are our allies, you know, our longest allies since the end of World War II, who are now going to China for high-tech equipment. And we are losing that market share. You see Joe Biden on the news the other day saying he's going to stop Germany from building a pipeline with Russia. How? No one knows. You know, there's no mechanism for him to do so. But, you know, there's the U.S. has lost all credibility because clearly whatever our, you know, quote unquote democracy is going to produce, it can't be relied upon to maintain a global order anymore. And a lot of countries are going to be left looking out for themselves. And if they're not ready when that time comes, they're going to be in trouble. Iran's president says the current, and this is interesting, the current U.S. administration is no different from its predecessor. Now, what's interesting about that to me is this. When you talk to a lot of people in the U.S., there are people who hate Trump, there are people who, who, who love Trump, and people who are ambivalent about Trump, very few of those. But 
there is an uh, angle that, well, Trump is different from uh, is different from Biden for this reason or that reason, whatever their particular ideological bend or social bend is. But when I read this, I think from the eyes of the Middle East, if I am in the crosshairs of the empire, looking at the foreign policy of Trump into and the, and the extraordinary continuity between the foreign policy of Trump and Biden through the lens of someone who's in the crosshairs of the U.S. empire, they do look, look exactly the same. And in fact, if you're Russia, they probably look a lot worse. In, in Europe, they look a lot worse. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, you know, when it comes to Iran, it's very clearly the same. I, no sanctions that all of the liberals called, you know, dangerous and destructive to diplomacy, all those sanctions that Trump put on Iran during his presidency, they're still there. Biden never removed them. Those could have been removed on day one. They were never removed, and they failed to show any better faith than the Trump administration about reentering the JCPOA. Um, and yeah, I see that going everywhere. I look at uh, the French deal with Australia to sell the nuclear submarine. Those were, that deal was undercut by the U.S. You know, behind closed doors. And I think that we sort of see this repeating and it's just happening everywhere and it's happening at an accelerated pace now. But yeah, as far as even the allies now realize that our policy is, it doesn't matter who the president is because it is technically America first. It's not the American people. It's the American oligarchs, but it is America first. You know, it's American capital first. And I think a lot of people are starting to notice that. Well, I'm glad you said it's American capital first because that's, there's a huge difference between that and the American people oh, yeah. being first. I don't get anything for this empire. But is it is it too late for there to be a correction of course? Or if Joe Biden were to be – if there were divine intervention and, and Joe Biden were to be struck by lightning, is there the still the opportunity – for America to change course? You know, I, I don't think so, because how would we change course? Um, our economy relies so heavily on, you know, basically military contractors or arms manufacturers or whatever. You know, this keeps hundreds of thousands of people employed. Um, and as far as future diplomacy goes, how can anyone trust, even if Biden makes a deal now, how can anyone trust that to hold up in the future? What if another... Trump presidency happens and the JCPOA that's reentered is thrown out again. You know, it, like I said, it's the unreliability and our, you know, sort of instability that's very much on display for the world now that has made people nervous. So I, I don't know that there can be a course correction because how can anyone trust what's going to happen going on in the future with us? You know, we clearly don't have our stuff together and it's only going to get worse, apparently. And I also think that puts an exclamation mark on the Russians saying, we're going to give you our demands in writing and we want an answer in writing so that they'll have something, you know, to go to the Security Council, et cetera, and say, you know, OK, the president's changed, but we have this in writing from you. And knowing that the U.S.'s empire is not going to answer in a reasonable way, that in presenting their demands in writing, not getting something in writing is, uh, you know, not getting. Well, uh, let me change this. They already got one thing in writing. But not getting something that they wanted in writing is a, is a, is a, is a value to it. Anyway, you're, you're, I'm talking a lot and saying nothing. Make some sense out of that, James <laughs> Carey. You're a smart guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't think that we can't go making demands of any international bodies or anything like that anymore. We've like, I, you know, this whole situation is all just the loss of credibility. Uh, we're going to continue that, I think. And no one is going to cooperate because clearly we have no means to make them cooperate. We can't do a ground invasion correctly. We can't sanction you out of existence as Iran and Venezuela proved. 
and Russia for, you know, them too. Even North Korea proves that we can't sanction you out of existence. You know, that is no longer possible. So I think going into the future, just trying to go to any international bodies, like why would they listen to us when we no longer have this monopoly of force that was assumed we had ever since, you know, post-World War II? We have just about a minute and a half left in this uh, article, uh, Iran president, current U.S. administration, no different from its predecessor, Raisi. President Raisi says, the Islamic Republic of Iran has always emphasized its principled policy of strengthening good neighborliness, building trust and dialogue with its neighbors, and achieving lasting security and creating a safer and more developed region only through cooperation, participation, and peace. That sounds an awful lot like the joint, the tenor and tone in some of the language in the joint statement that came from Presidents Xi and Putin last week when Putin went to the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, that's it, right? There's a counter system. Um, it's not official, but I, we've said this before. There's almost like a new non-aligned movement building. There are these states that, well, maybe not entered into any you know, tight military pact like NATO or tight economic pact. No, they are entering economic pacts like the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're building parallel systems that seem to function just as well because when people are faced with the choice between Russian, like I said, security or diplomacy or Chinese economy and the U.S., where do they go? You know, when they're put under the screws of the U.S., the U.S. makes demands, they're going to go somewhere else. And I see that happening in the future because As we get more desperate, our demands are only going to get more and more ridiculous with less and less to back them up. James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly appreciate that analysis. We look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. 